G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Coming up over this next hour, I think it will be an enlightening conversation. We're asking a question today. Why are Christians persecuted? Because you'll look over your shoulder and you'll look at your friends and family in church and you'll say they're nice people. Why would anyone want to persecute them? Well, persecution around the world, of course, is a fact of life. It's growing year upon year. In fact, estimates are 360 million Christians face high levels of persecution in nations around the world. In so many places now, the church is under constant attack. Physically and politically, the gospel message seldom goes out freely And those who belong to Christ often will face darkness and difficulty. Well, Jesus reminded his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. Those who follow Christ are told that others will insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So what is the ultimate reason why the world persecutes the church? This is our conversation today, and our special guest joining us through this coming hour, Ashley Saunders, CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Now, Barnabas Fund works to provide hope and aid for the persecuted church, from Christians to Christians through Christians. Ashley Saunders is a peacemaker and a peace builder supporting the persecuted church. Ashley Saunders, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you and great to be with your listeners again. Ashley, why don't we start with a very sobering insight that comes from a development in Pakistan. And for listeners, regular listeners, who'll know we talk about persecution on this program, they'll recognise that Pakistan is one of those hotspots where Christians come under very intense persecution. But your own Barnabas Fund team... In Pakistan, they've got some pretty challenging times, and uh, there's a story that's developed around the family of your leader of Barnabas Fund in Pakistan. Yeah, our original coordinator is a fellow called Wilson Saraj, and uh, Wilson's brother, uh, William, only just over a month ago, um, was um, uh, martyred uh, when he was driving away after uh, preaching a sermon uh, in a church service uh, the last Sunday in January. And it's worth probably just... Going through some of the some of the background, you see this fellow William has been committed to Christ all his life, and he's been committed to Christian leadership for a long time. And so, for this this congregation is made up of mostly poor, uneducated, disadvantaged, oppressed Christians, and he's been leading them for ten years in in the last few years alongside a pastor. And uh, he'd been there preaching and uh, was targeted um, as a Christian leader. And so as he and the other pastor were driving away, um, uh, a gunman came up on a motorbike and um, uh, fired a bullet into the car. Uh, Will- William was, was killed and uh, uh, Patrick, the other pastor, uh, survived. And, and, and this is a daily reality for so many Christians. Uh, William's daughter... Um, was widowed in the bomb attack on a church in Peshawar back um, some 15 or so years ago. Um, and, um, uh, and so she is, um, is the widow of a martyr, and now she's the daughter of a martyr. And, and, and this is a reality. Wilson, our, uh, our regional coordinator, William's brother, has now lost five family members to anti-Christian Islamic extremist violence. Um, and so many of our listeners would have, would have just no idea about what so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ experience, and that's just the impact on one person and one family. And as significant as it is, when you and I talk about that, uh, you might think that's making headlines. Uh, that's not making headlines around the world at all. 
In fact, no one would know about the plight of the Siraj family unless there's people like yourself, Ashley, and special honour to you and the organisation Barnabas Fund as you get these sorts of stories out because we wouldn't know unless you were able to tell us. And this is only one family. My suspicion is that this is happening much more widely across places like Pakistan than any of us might appreciate. And not just Pakistan. I mean, that's that's the, the focus of what's been happening with the Siraj family. But um, there are parts of Africa which are just becoming plainly difficult and dangerous uh, to be a Christian. Uh, we, we've spoken before on this program about the situation in Nigeria. Uh, there are deteriorating conditions in Mozambique. Um, so much of Africa... Now, when you think about uh, Africa, many of your listeners might think, well, you know, it's all in northern Africa. Well, Mozambique is a country that borders South Africa. And the situation in Mozambique, sure, it's in northern Mozambique, but that's how far south the anti-Christian violence is now now progressing. You know, estimates are something like 360 million people, Christians, who are facing persecution in nations around the world. It's mind-boggling to even consider that sort of number of people, let alone the fact that those are people who identify with Christ, uh, oftentimes uh, very faithful followers of Christ, and and sometimes, no doubt, in a persecuted situation, you really are a dedicated follower of Christ because uh, it would be too easy to say, I'm not going to associate with that bunch over there because I might lose my life. So there's a certain sense here that the depth and perhaps simplicity simplicity and profound nature of Christian faith in these nations is something we perhaps could learn some things from. Uh, Yes, and in many ways it's uh, reflective, I think, of the early years of the church following Christ. And so in that period around AD 70 and thereafter where there was intense persecution, that's where the idea of having baptismal classes came in. Because the the idea there was before you're baptized and therefore marked as a Christian, because baptism has always for the last 2,000 years been the mark of Christianity. And so what they were saying was before you get baptized, before you mark yourself as a Christian, you need to know what you're putting yourself in for. You need to know what you're putting your hand up for. And, uh, and and we are very much in that kind of territory again around the world. And here we are into Lent. Now, this is typically the 40 days in the lead up to Easter. And what you're describing is the way I understand Lent has developed. It became a time of intense understanding about your Christian faith in the lead up to baptism on that Easter celebration. So uh, it's an interesting uh, fact of life when you talk about Lent and a deepening of faith. This is something we can all learn something from because uh, some of us come from different traditions where Lent is not a part of the tradition at all. Deepening of faith in the lead up to Easter and appreciation of the cross and of the resurrection isn't a part of the uh, sort of liturgy that happens in many evangelical and Pentecostal churches. I always say Pentecostals gave up Lent for Lent because uh, sometimes people talk about giving up something and uh, and having that level of sacrifice. But Here is a time in the world right now, I suspect, uh, that people will be deepening their faith along those lines of sacrifice and Lent because persecution is deepening all the more. Now, I'm not sure what your uh, thoughts are on that, uh, Ashley, but, uh, but, you know, this is a time we all need to consider these things. Well, I think you're right. Uh, I've spoken on this program before about Asya Bibi, the Pakistani lady who was on death row for nearly nine years, for blasphemy charges that were trumped up. And so she now lives with her family in uh, in Canada. She lives in relative anonymity. She was interviewed a year or so ago by, I think, a British um, news reporter. And one of the questions was, you know, ha- have you forgiven those people who made up these charges against you that cost you so much of your life away from your family, not even knowing whether you're going to live? And her response was that, uh, yes, I've forgiven them. And and um, and she says, as part of her testimony, that that experience turned her from an ordinary Christian into a deeper Christian, and and so the idea there is, um, it didn't break me; it actually deepened my faith, and um, and and so that's the experience that so many persecuted Christians um, tell as their testimony that. Um, 
that through this, my faith has deepened. My faith has become more real. It's become more active. And, uh, and, and we all need to be challenged about where we stand with these kinds of things. Ashley, I know you say when we read of persecution, we should be shocked but never surprised. Uh, we're going to get into, uh, we're talking about the ultimate reason why person, uh, why Christians are persecuted, but uh, never surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus himself said, as you indicated in the introduction, that uh, if, if the world hates you, remember they hated me first, and in this world you'll have trouble. And uh, he warned his followers that in order to be a follower, that there is a cost. Uh, remember that Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And uh, and I'm constantly reminded that in those days, the cross wasn't something cute to wear around your neck or on your shirt or around your wrist. And I'm not, uh, I'm not having a go at anybody who does that. I'm simply saying that uh, in those days, the cross was a symbol of brutal state-imposed torture and death. And Jesus was saying, that's that's the symbol that I want you to own. That's the cross that I want you to take. Are you willing to put me ahead of all of those things? There is a price to pay. And and so, yes, for those of you, your listeners who may not be yet followers of Jesus, um, one of the things that I say is um, becoming a follower of Jesus is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift, but it's a free gift that we need to take into account may cost us our life because Jesus says, you need to put me first. And so maybe there are some nominal Christians listening uh, and, and don't understand this, this concept. Uh, Jesus says, you've got to put me first above everything else because that's the cost of following me. It's challenging, isn't it? Here in Australia, we are not used to persecution and we do want to share good news uh, with our fellow Australians, uh, we don't always want to point out this very, very central and profound fact of Christianity, that if you do sign up to follow Jesus, that you may well face persecution. And uh, I often will use that illustration. If you're trying to sell a used car, you don't always point out uh, all the, uh, the the dents, uh, all of the things that uh, you, know, you might get into trouble with uh, selling this used car. But there's a certain sense... Uh, Ashley, and I'm not sure whether we were intending to go down a path here, but there's something in what you're sharing today which might lead us to a re-evaluation of who we are as followers of Christ and actually to take some time to deepen that appreciation knowing that, as you said, it's Jesus himself who said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. There's something of a re-evaluation that can take place in the hearts of believers listening to us today. Uh, yes, there is. And part of, the, part of what's at the core of that is that uh, in the Western world, we've, we've had such relative freedoms over the last 200 years. And, and so, uh, in a sense, church and Christianity have been at the centre of culture um, at least in the public sense. And uh, as the church is no longer at the centre of Western culture and is increasingly going to the margins, and we might argue later in this conversation um, a bit beyond that and why that is, but some people, are they look at that and, and they say they get disillusioned um, and or, or they, they say, I want it to be back like it was. And, and, and so I don't know that we've we've had our... Um, our teeth sharpened as much as they ought to have been sharpened um, or our loins girded as much as they ought to have been girded because for the last 200 years in Western world, we've had it so easy in terms of religious freedom. When persecution comes, oftentimes there are those who do stand form, uh, firm. There are those who you know, saunter out of the pack and uh, they show themselves to have real character in following Christ. And and while we might look around Australia and we can identify some various leaders, wonderful people, there'll be some stories to come in days ahead, no doubt, uh, of people who've suffered, uh, whether they've been drawn before tribunals and courts and all sorts of things like that. Uh, we're heading this direction. And, and, and it's not all about Australia today. We're talking really about people persecuted for their faith around the world and the good work of Barnabas Fund. But we're getting used to the idea that there is not necessarily only a rosy outlook for being a Christian. Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, when I pose the question here in Australia about persecution, I, I get 
sometimes three responses. There are some people who say uh, persecution is happening and it's real, and, and many of those either have an experience in university or a family member uh, in the uh, in, in the academy, and 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 they've noticed the change, the drastic change uh, in, in that environment. Uh, other people just don't want to admit or acknowledge that there's any persecution. Um, and some people don't even like the fact that the question's being asked. And so there there are these views um, where some people embrace that persecution is coming. Uh, other people just want to fight against it. Uh, and, and yet others just want to focus on other countries. Now, the focus of Barnabas Fund's work is in other countries where Christians have it so much worse uh, than we have it in the West. And, and so even as we talk about this, the deteriorating situation in Australia, or other Western countries, we must remember that we still are so much better off than our brothers and sisters in the likes of Pakistan or Nigeria uh, or Mozambique or parts of India um, uh, where the situation is deteriorating. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation today. In fact, before we go a step further, let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador. Hi, Anne. Welcome, Labrador, Queensland. Hello, my name's Anne. Um, I've just been... I know when you say why uh, Christians are persecuted, because one thing, they stand for, for Jesus, and the other thing, people don't want to... Um, know about that sometimes so they um, don't want to know Jesus and they don't want to come into knowing Jesus and so that's why I think they are get, they get persecuted I've got the uh, prayer book from the other organisations that I pray so that gives me a bit of insight into what is happening as well around the uh, around the world. And great insight there because uh, some people don't want to follow Jesus even when they are presented with the most compelling argument and the most compelling stories. Oftentimes they'll still refuse to follow Jesus and uh, Christians can appear to be more an enemy. Uh, Ashley, your thoughts for Anne? Uh, Yeah, Anne's uh, Anne's spot on. in the course of this conversation, we'll, we'll get into some of the deeper reasons as to as to why um, why people don't want to follow Jesus, why Jesus is so offensive, uh, and so we're, we're no longer in a position, even in many parts of the West, where where it's just a question of being um, ambivalent about faith. Uh, there is an increasing anti-Christian ideology, and we might ask, where where does that come from? Where, where, what what's behind that? Now, ultimately, the evil one is behind all of this. Um, but in terms of how that's played out, uh, it's played out in the in the context of uh, religious nationalism in some places, um, I, communist ideology in other places, uh, and uh, and uh, what you might call um, political or uh, other ideologies, including in the West. And thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Interestingly, this has been around throughout the history of the world, uh, where you have a conflict that happens within nations, uh, the ideological conflict. People come from different ideological positions. Uh, oftentimes it's political. And when it comes to our Christianity, uh, there is a way that we can see governance, even of a nation that can be under God. But if people disagree with that, if they take God out of the equation, you've got rising up power that tries to overtake uh, the the way that we might see truth and justice. And people don't always think the same way, Ashley. Yes, that's right. And so what we're finding increasingly is that uh, you, 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 we're returning to the situation that might have existed, for example, in the Roman world, where the state was the arbiter of uh, morality and uh, and religion, uh, or, or rather the, the arbiter of morality, and religion was relegated to being a purely private matter. And, and so uh, for some people, they see that as a real positive, that the state is, is the arbiter of these things. Um, we're also then going to a position in, again, where, uh, where Christianity is, is offensive because it talks about things like sin, because in an ideological context, 
uh, it it addresses uh, or it's offensive to those people who say you're you're treating me as other than my true self. Uh, and so the idea that um, telling gospel truth um, can be hate speech, uh, can be uh, something that's criminalised, and we are seeing that in different parts of the world today. We mentioned that scripture just a little earlier. Uh, you know, it's because the world hates Christ. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, Jesus said to his disciples. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, This uh, appreciation of the one who sent Jesus, if you say there is no God, uh, you brush Jesus aside. If you acknowledge that there must be a creator somewhere in the universe and you're not sure who that is and you ultimately are on a search, you'll likely find that it is the God of the Bible and you will come around to a different position. But those who are saying there is no God, they are the ones who primarily will set themselves up ideologically or nationally or politically and they will become the opponents of those who are Christian. Uh, Yes, opponents because uh, tolerance is no longer enough. Because the idea that we should each tolerate other people's views is no longer enough. We now live in a world where, uh, where you, you need to accept and embrace the prevailing cultural norms in whatever society you live in. Um, and uh, that, that's a very real factor that we cannot overlook. Um, that um, there might even be some of your listeners who are thinking, you know, look, really, it's, it's all just about tolerance. Well, it's gone beyond tolerance. Uh, where uh, sometimes I say that the the Western world, for example, is tolerant of everything except um, conservative Christianity, um, but it's gone beyond tolerance where we, we're being encouraged to embrace a worldview um, that is contrary to gospel, uh, to embrace a worldview that's contrary to scripture, to embrace a worldview that is contrary to who we are um, as children of the living God through Jesus Christ, his son. And, and so tolerance is no longer enough. It's about embracing the prevailing norms of our culture. For some people, they'll say, oh, all of these things, I got a grip on it, uh, just as you say it, Ashley, and then it disappears. It's like these highfalutin type arguments. And let's bring this closer to home because some people are haters of Christians because they've had a bad experience. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, personal reasons. Sometimes it's because they've been hurt by Christians, hurt by the church. And that's, of course, been in the media for this last decade fairly prominently and uh, perhaps leading to some of the ways people feel today. But it can be very personal. People can have something against Christians uh, from all sorts of reasons uh, that, you know, are very personal Mm. to them. Uh, Without a doubt. And um, uh, to any of the people who are listening today who have had um, hurtful, damaging or other negative experiences at the, at the hands of um, a Christian church or um, Christian individuals, then um, I, I can only apologise. I can only say that it's not only hurt you, but it also hurts Jesus. It hurts the Christ we believe in. And, um, and so, uh, yep, the, the, the reality is that there are people who have suffered um, at the hands of what I would call institutional uh, religion uh, in the name of Christ, uh, or maybe even at the hands of Christians. And uh, one of the marks of Christianity um, is um, uh, is confession. Uh, and we need to simply own that we have not, as a people, a Christian people, um, always uh, followed the things that we profess to believe in. We don't like the thought that there are those who are in the community uh, who will hate us for those things that have happened to us in the past. Our only encouragement might be to understand uh, what it is uh, to uh, exercise levels of forgiveness. Some people still hold a faith in God, but they can't stand the church and they become persecutors of the church even as people who might even be believers in God. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can twist our thinking in all of these things, and and not everybody has a firm foundation on which they can grow their faith, run by by feelings and emotions rather than by some uh, objective standard. 
Uh, yes, that's right. And and so if I'm to be hated, may I be hated because of Jesus? Um, I don't want to be hated because of something that I've done. And, and And so if somebody brings to my attention, I'm talking very personally here, if someone was to bring to my attention something that I've done or something that I have not done that I ought to have done, then, then I owe it um, to my faith. I owe it to my Christ. I owe it to the Father to work that through and to confess um, and to repent. Um, that's, a, that, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, to be able to be a person who lives a righteous life, and uh, nobody's perfect, but there is the attempt to be righteous in your behavior, the attempt to be ethical when you are in business, the, the attempt to be truthful when you work in media or in academia. Uh, these sorts of things have got to be the marks of Christians, haven't they? And uh, and if we're not in that, we've got to adjust ourselves because a certain sense of discipleship would lead us to be Christ-like, to take on his identity. And, and Jesus is pretty happy to take the blame. Uh, but let's not be the ones who get blamed ourselves because of our own misbehaviours. Our special guest is Ashley Saunders. Ashley is CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Barnabas Fund works to provide hope and aid for the persecuted church from Christians to Christians through Christians. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Ashley, before we take this any further, let's take a call. Layani is in Tasmania. Layani, thanks so much for waiting patiently. What are your thoughts? That's okay. Um, I wrote a poem once and it had in it that in stretching there is growing and in growing there is pain. And through it all, we'll know we'll never be the same. If we as Christians don't have persecution, don't have challenges, then my question is whether we're growing because Satan doesn't want us to grow. He doesn't want us to be with the Lord. He'll do everything possible, especially for those who go overseas, be missionaries. Uh, they get persecuted. Leani, very good point you're making here about the level of persecution and sometimes uh, we might just characterise some of that as being under pressure, pressure and stress that actually brings out the best in us uh, and of course you go across a certain line in there where persecution becomes uh, I'm going to drag you before the courts, I'm going to torture you, I'm going to throw you in jail uh, those are the sorts of things that are much more severe. Uh, your thoughts for Leani, uh, uh when we're talking through that question and that uh, response that she's made Ashley Saunders? Uh, thank you so much for the call and thank you for sharing your poem uh, you've reminded me of um Another poem that uh, my best friend and I used to uh, regularly say over 40 years ago, and I, at the expense of um, hoping to get it right, let me share that with you. It goes along these lines. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but she left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, nor any word said she, but oh, the things I learnt that day when sorrow walked with me. Uh, you've reminded us, and it's uh, a great thing that you have you've reminded all of the listeners today that we grow so often through pain through suffering and through disadvantage and um, uh, and sometimes they're the things that God uses to help us grow up and uh, and so uh, that's what many Christians around the world experience on a daily basis and it's what increasingly Christians in the West uh, needing to prepare themselves to experience. Leani, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Before we take this next call, uh, when China had been just keeping pressure on churches, but they were allowed to grow, and Christianity in China over the past 30 years has grown to as many as 100 million believers and the Chinese reports that I hear saying, don't pray for stopping the persecution. In other words, the pressure that they were under. Although now in China, the, uh, the, the pressure is tightening. Uh, things are getting much, much harder. Uh, the underground church really is underground. The surveillance, uh, the issues in China. There is a certain point, Ashley, where persecution becomes really physical and really, really detrimental to the believer. Uh, and that's what we might be seeing in some countries now as persecution continues to deepen. Uh, yes, it is what we're seeing. And um, and again, because um, you mentioned the China situation, and 
uh, you know, Chinese Christians don't recognise um, the president or don't recognise the state as their ultimate authority. And, uh, and regimes, um, autocratic regimes like China can't stand that, can't stand that, uh, that you, you just don't bow down and do everything that I say willingly. Um, and it's not just the underground church in China, but even the above-ground church, as they call it, the three-self church. There are even moves to severely restrict what's happening there. And in terms of online activities, so, so many Christians in China uh, have become involved in online communities, severe restrictions in terms of Christian uh, content on the internet. So uh, that, that's what's happening in, in many parts of that country. And again, because... Um, the government of countries like China want to control their people. And Christians say, just a moment, do you really have a right to control me? Do you really have a right to control what I think and what I say and what I believe? And, and, and so that's a threat to the temporal powers of this world. Fabulous insight. Jesus is competition for the power even of nations. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Paul in Victoria. Hi, Paul. Welcome. Hello, General. How are you? Very well, Paul. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Um, yeah, look, I've, I've read a book recently called The Insanity of God, which is quite interesting because it throws a different light on this. Um, the author sort of says, like, I'd always assumed that persecution was abnormal exceptional, unusual, out of the ordinary. In my mind, persecution was something to avoid. It was a problem, a setback, a barrier. But he concluded, what if persecution is a normal expected situation for a believer? What if, in fact, persecution is a soil in which faith can grow? And what if, in fact, persecution is good soil? And, um, you know, and the real reason, the conclusion was the reason for persecution is that people were finding Jesus, but when they found him, they refused to keep him to himself. So they would actually share Jesus. And I think that the response for us or the question is, what is our response to that threat? Do we try and find a political protection, you know, from the government legislation or, um, but the world's not on our side, or do we just keep sharing Christ? And, and, and in conclusion, um, those who were persecuted did not ask us to pray for an end to persecution. They actually asked they would remain faithful under the persecution. So that threw a whole different light on me from the point of view of persecution as a Christian. Wonderful insight, Paul. Uh, a response from Ashley Saunders. Uh, you're right, Paul, that uh, when we speak with persecuted Christians around the world, they rarely ask us to pray that the persecution would stop. They most commonly uh, ask us to pray that they would be faithful in the face of persecution because they know that their faithfulness testifies powerfully to the truth of the claims of Jesus. And they also ask us to pray for their persecutors. And, and this is worth mentioning. Uh, they ask us to pray for their persecutors that, that they, like the Apostle Paul all those years ago and many others since, might come to know the Lord Jesus as their personal saviour. Um, and they know that their faithfulness and their willingness to pray for those who are uh, tormenting them and persecuting them, as Jesus said, to love your enemies, uh, they know that that testifies powerfully to the truth of what they believe. Paul, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. We're talking about why Christians are persecuted around the world. Let's take another call. Vicky is near Brisbane in Queensland. Hi, Vicky. Oh, good morning, Neil. How are you? Well, thank you. What are your thoughts, Vicky? Um, good morning, Ashley. Um, scriptures, just in a biblical context... Um, the scriptures that came to me apart from my belief, when we're living for Christ, it's only natural we're going to get persecuted, as the Lord talks about in his word. And in 1 Corinthians 2, under God's wisdom, that um, we have received the mind of Christ. And in verse 13, and says, we do not speak in the words taught by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, as we explain spiritual truths to those who have the Spirit. Whoever does not have the Spirit cannot receive the gifts that comes from God's Spirit. Such a person really does not understand them, and so on. And in 2 Corinthians 6.14, warning against like 
um, the pagan influences and everything in the um, Good News Study Bible. Um, says in verse 14, do not try to work together as equals with unbelievers. That doesn't mean we don't um, preach the good news of the gospel and all that sort of thing. But And then says, for it cannot be done. How can right and wrong be partners? How can light and darkness live together? How can Christ and the devil agree? Wonderful insights, Vicky. Let me just invite Ashley in here, because when you present these words of Jesus, these truths of uh, the timeless gospel, uh, they do come up against uh, those who are on an opposite side. What are your thoughts here for Vicky? Um, you, you're right, Neil, and, and you're right, Vicky, to point out those scriptures. And I want to go back to one of the very first things that you said when you said that uh, we're living for Christ. And so the question um, that I need to grapple with, I think the question that we each one need to grapple with is, am I truly living for Christ or am I um, living according to my culture? Have I been conformed to the world? And uh, Jesus spoke against that and so did the apostles. Uh, and it is easy to be conformed to the world. It's easy, I'm going to use one of those words, enculturated. It's, it's easy for us to critique um, someone else's culture it's much more difficult for us to critique our own. And so, uh, you know, when I've been in Iran, for example, or when I've been in China or when I've been in parts of Indonesia, it's easy to look at those cultures and to, to look at that and to see some, some things that are, uh, I guess, speak of the truths of God and those things that are ungodly. But it's so much more difficult in our own. And so we've, we must remember that we've had, uh, we've had here, you know, decades of enculturation. Uh, and I suspect that um, some of our some of our folk, even those who would call themselves Christians, have been taken in by some of the lies. And let me share some of those lies. The lie that says you can be whatever you want to be. The lie that says uh, be true to yourself. The lie that says follow your heart. Now, uh, I know that that sounds like any number of Disney movies. Um, and, and, and we show those to our kids and, and maybe we've grown up on those things. And yet, their lies, because Jesus says, the scriptures say, that our, our hearts are, are deceitful. Uh, and so instead of following ourselves, we need to follow Christ. Instead of following our heart, we need to follow Christ. And so the challenge is to not be conformed to this world, but to follow Christ, to live for Christ in the way, Vicky, that you highlighted at the beginning of your call. Vicky, wonderful contribution. Thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Interestingly, some will say, uh, with all this commotion that you're talking about and all these bad things that could happen, maybe I'll just keep my head down. Uh, and I can be a follower of Christ and I'll just keep my head low and I won't offend anybody. But then we are faced with a dilemma because Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So somebody's got to take up a challenging thing to go out and uh, put their head up above the parapet and actually uh, take some of the hits that might come. So somebody with some courage is going to have to do that, aren't they? Uh, yes, that's right. And uh, just on that, on that verse from uh, Matthew 28, um, because what's interesting is that the verb, again, this might sound like a, a, an English lesson, but the verb um, in that sentence is not the verb to go the verb is make disciples and so uh, the better translation as i understand it is isn't it's a past participle it's not even as you go make disciples it's as you have gone so there's a presumption there's there's a presumption that we will be a going people and then as we've gone make sure that we make disciples and so that is a command of christ it wasn't just to um uh, pastors or priests or teachers it was a, a command to jesus followers that we need to be a people who as we go as we have gone that we need to be sharing the reality of who jesus is taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's get through as many as we can jonathan is in perth wa hi jonathan yeah hello neil it's been a little while jonathan no, what are your I, thoughts I, yeah as i listen to the the speaker you know, he says something that uh, strikes me now is that we follow culture. But let's be realistic. Even from the beginning of the of the of the gospel of the of the religion for Judaism, they are being dominated by culture. 
because the USB world they have their culture. Even God walked through them through their culture. But what is the primary concern is that as a Christian, we should follow the teaching of Christ and the apostles. So we don't have to bring our tribal culture, whether from America, whether from Europe, whether from Russia, any country we come from, right from Africa, we should follow the teaching and the principle of Christ. Even though in all this, he told us plainly, take courage, I have overcome. Wonderful so insight, overcome. Jonathan. Uh, we don't follow a culture, we follow Christ. In so doing, on the journey, the culture grows around what we do. And if there's enough of us, it can affect the culture of a whole nation. Uh, your thoughts for Jonathan? Uh, I'm reminded, um, Neil, as as Jonathan and you were speaking, uh, it's some years ago that I sat in, not this studio, but your old studio with Andrea Williams from Britain, um, from Christian Concern. And uh, she said something along these lines, that culture is externalised values or externalised religion. And so we need to recognise that... Um, that culture, culture is not just about whether you're white or whether you're Asian or whether you're something else. Uh, culture is about um, living out the values uh, that are fundamental to who I am. And therefore, so let me challenge um, uh, all of our listeners and challenge myself. Um, if the difference between me and I'm a white Aussie, um, if the difference between me and my white Aussie neighbour um, is, is just that uh, they don't go to church and I do, then I've got to ask myself about whether I'm truly living for Christ or whether I've become enculturated, whether I'm living uh, according to my culture, because uh, my culture should be so very different to his or hers if they're not followers of Jesus, because um, because I get my identity. It's not just about a religion tacked on. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about something being tacked on to a, an otherwise secular self. Um, this affects who I am. My identity is found in Jesus Christ, and I seek to live out those things. And that includes when I make a mistake, how I apologize for that, how I confess that, and how I endeavor to make that right. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Let's go through some more calls. Jeremy is in Denmark in Western Australia. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome. Hi there. What are your thoughts, Jeremy? Um, well, I mean, I've I've been investigating a lot of the history of the Freemasons for quite some time, and I found out that they um, specifically tried to engineer society, including an atheistic mentality, um, and, and that's connected to communism and leftism in general. So my point is that they are trying to um, the principal aim of this was um, because of their hatred for, for God and for, for Christianity and Jeremy, how, how society has been managed that way. Uh, all sorts of issues with Freemasonry, uh, and they wouldn't be the only group had who have an idea of engineering a society because as soon as you have any anti-God or we don't observe, uh, you know, we don't acknowledge God, uh, then you've got all sorts of people who come up with their own utopian ideals. Uh, thoughts here for Jeremy uh, from you, Ashley. Uh, you, you're right, Neil, that there's a range of people with a range of uh, views. Um, the only thing that they probably hold in common is that they are anti-Christ or anti-Christian, and, um, and and so what we're what we're finding. So let's think about the West, for example. Why is it that there is a Finnish uh, parliamentary lady, a, a member of parliament in Finland? Why is she on trial um, because she uh, believes in a biblical view of marriage and sexuality? Um, why is it that the prosecutor in that case? Uh, could tell could tell the judges that um, that the idea of sin um, is is offensive and therefore the even the word sin shouldn't be mentioned because someone might get upset by it. Um, that's the sort of society we're living in, where whether it's uh, Freemasonry, whether it's um, uh, sexual politics, whether it's um, um, secular ideology, whether it's progressive ideology, um, the thing that they share is this anti-Christian bias. Thank you so much, Jeremy, in WA. Let's take one more call. Joseph is in Bankstown, or sorry, Blacktown in Sydney. Hi, Joseph. Welcome. Oh, thanks very much, Neil. Um, I just wanted to point out that um, uh, nations uh, run in go-through phases, seasons or cycles. 
quite often nations start in bondage like we did here with the convict era, uh, the American, uh, America Civil War, that sort of thing. And out of that bondage, uh, people develop a deep faith in God. And from that deep faith in God, they develop courage, entrepreneurial skills, uh, the, the desire to succeed and work hard to raise a family and to, and to be successful. And, and nations come out of bondage and go through a great time of, of building and prosperity and success. And then out of that, nations can move into a time where they become very uh, complacent. And then apathy can set in. And then finally, they end up back in bondage again. Now, many will say that diversity is our strength, but I would argue that our strength is, and it's wonderful that we're in a diverse culture, our strength is our Judeo-Christian values that we base our nation on. And I think corporately as a nation, we shouldn't be thinking about tackling persecution. What we should be corporately as a nation doing is getting back to biblical Christianity and as individuals getting back to our first love, our faith in Jesus Christ. Because going back to that bondage time and people coming out of that bondage into a time of success, their faith in God, that all comes through faith in Christ. Wonderful insight, Joseph. And uh, my concern, of course, is if it is a cyclical thing, we're in trouble because we're at the low end on that cycle. Uh, your thoughts here, Ashley, for Joseph? Oh, I think, Joseph, you've uh, fairly well summed up the thrust of this conversation, that, um, that it, it, there's a real challenge for each one of us to ensure that we live for Christ, to ensure that we are living out the values of Christ, to ensure that we are externalizing, uh, living out uh, what we profess to believe. And, uh, and so as we do that, we will deepen our faith, we will grow and pray God as, uh, as that happens, so will um, our, our land, our nation grow. Uh, I had the privilege of being in Wales in 2004, which was the, um, the centenary of the 1904 um, Welsh revival that just transformed the nation. Well, guess what? A hundred years later, there's not much to show for it uh, in terms of lasting impact. And so uh, I guess if there are close to final words that I would pass on, uh, it's that each one of us individually and collectively need to ensure that we are growing and that we are uh, living out what we profess to believe, that we are teaching our children, that we are involved in our local communities of faith with a view to there being a lasting legacy and pray God. Um, revival in our nation. Joseph, thank you for great insight today. And uh, we have to put a line under any calls there. Time's running out. Ashley, just to come back to the reason why Christian believers are persecuted around the world, and there are all sorts of minor reasons why, but coming back to this major reason why, uh, Christ himself If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, says the Lord to his disciples. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, Just uh, perhaps uh, if we can sum up some things, uh, just a final thought or two from you, Ashley, because uh, we're talking about that major reason why. Christians are persecuted, and if we're not suffering that, well and good. If we are suffering, it's because of Jesus. Any thoughts as we have to draw our conversation to a close? Uh, Yeah, we need to go back to Scripture. Uh, One of the reasons I love this uh, show 2020 is it's about making sense of life from a biblical perspective, and that's the challenge for each one of us who owns the name of Jesus. Um, And uh, and so we need to recognize that that the world hates Jesus, uh, the world doesn't want to recognize the need for a savior. That's why sin is so offensive, because if there's no such thing as sin, we don't need a savior. Um, and, uh, and and so uh, it's very important to ensure that we live for Christ. And can I finish with a message of encouragement and hope? Uh, and that is that um, uh, even if countries like Australia here in the West might be, might be slipping away from Christian influence, we need to uh, re- remember, we need to pray for revival, but we need to remember this is not our home. And so from uh, from Hebrews 13, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's live in the here and now for Christ, influencing our nation, and let's recognize that ultimately this is not our home.
And I suspect that all is not yet lost. Some people can be very defeatist in all of this. And, uh, you know, we still have a very Christianized Australia. And while there are so many issues, and we'll highlight those on this program, of things that are diminishing, things that are disintegrating, things that are evaporating before our eyes, uh, all is not lost. And just look at... Christian schooling in Australia. Look at the number of charities that have Christian foundation to them in Australia. Look at Christian media now expanding all around Australia. Good things are happening. All is not lost. There is a spark of hope, but it is good to draw attention to these challenging times that we're in and challenging times for our brothers and sisters around the world. Barnabas Fund, for some listeners, they might not have considered supporting Barnabas Fund as part of their mission giving or making some sort of a sacrificial donation. But I'm sure there must be needs, Ashley Saunders. Uh, Is there any particular campaign, any special appeals that you've got going at the moment? Uh, Just let us in on something. You might uh, find a new friend or two today. Uh, The major appeal we've got on at the moment uh, deals with the, the Ukraine crisis. There are literally thousands and thousands of mainly women and children who have crossed the border into Moldova and Poland, and uh, we're working in partnership with local uh, denomination and churches, church organisations. They've gone over the border literally with just what they've got, um, and uh, they need shelter, they need sustenance, they need food, they need spiritual support, and uh, that's our major appeal right now. So for listeners to be able to connect with you, Ashley Saunders, and perhaps be a supporter of that appeal, which is so important, let me point listeners to Barnabas Fund website. Now, it's a global organisation, and the way they've got this set out, barnabasfund.org, and it's not .au, but forward slash au. So there's something to remember that when you're looking for the Australian arm of Barnabas Fund, barnabasfund.org forward slash AU. There's also another website, barnabastoday.com, and uh, you'll be able to check out those websites and understand more deeply the work that is going on behind the scenes in so many nations around the world. Ashley Saunders, uh, CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's great to be with you, Neil, and great to be with your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.